Blog Talk Radio. Man, it was real cool in school if we got good grades Like straight up A's, our parents would take us to a 76 game I got my game and there ain't no shame Big shots of Mo Cheeks and Moses Malone Julius Server called Philly is home Bobby Jones, Daryl Dawkins, and Tony sinking threes Rocky Bobo will come from South Philly But if you wanna make it on time to the show There's only one road that you really have to know So get to Fishtown without all that job I suggest that you drive on I-95 Wanna get downtown but feeling a fix Get on that road they call 676, the most expensive, expensive piece of interstate they ever made. The fellas ain't famous, but they got good game. Get getting on 76ers. Travel by lane, this Larry Bird. Get it on 76ers. Travel by lane, this Larry Bird. Shoots the middleman now, disguises the jewel. Hello and welcome to another edition of the State of Independence podcast. I'm your host, Jeff McMenamin, a Metro Philly, along with ESPN True Hoop writer Michael Kasky Blomain. And as always, you can add our podcast on the app Stitcher and make sure to follow us on Twitter at 76ers Report. And thank you guys so much for listening. You know, we continue to get record listeners here with each passing show. So thanks again for tuning in here. Mike, uh, you know, you were down the shore this weekend for the Sixers Beach Bash. Jalil Okafor, Robert Covington, and, you know, Daryl Dawkins were all down there as well. What was the experience like, Mike, you know, as a reporter out there, and what was, you know, the fan interest like? Yeah, I mean, it, it was a pretty good event overall, Jeff. There was a, you know, there was a solid turnout. It was the first time I had been down there for the Beach Bash in a few years. Um, you know, I'd been down there one other time, like five or six years ago, whenever uh, coming off when Thaddeus Young was a rookie um, the year he was down there. But uh, they've been holding it at that same uh, Jack's place in Avalon for uh, 16 years, I believe now. And, uh, you know, it was, it was just a really cool afternoon for, uh, you know, the New Jersey Sixers community. Uh, I mean, it was a beautiful day, first of all, which was nice. I mean, it was clear skies, like almost 90 degrees. And, uh, you know, by the time I got there, it was I probably got there, you know, 15, 20 minutes after after the event started. And it was already, um, you know, really crowded. The line to get, uh, you know, meet the little Okafor and get his, get his autograph was around the corner. Um, you know, with little kids really excited to... Uh, you know, get a chance to meet the, the new prize pick of the Sixers. Um, you know, there's games all around. Uh, Scott O'Neill was there, kind of mingling. Um, same with, as you mentioned, Daryl Dawkins. Uh, World Be Free was there, as was, uh, you know, 12-year NBA vet Doug Overton. And, uh, yeah, it was just, it was a it was a cool afternoon all, all around for Sixers fans. It was a nice mix of, uh, you know, some of the younger guys and with the team, with Covington and Okafor, and then some of the, you know, the more revered and respected legends, uh, you know, Dawkins and World Be Free. And, uh, you know, it was just, you know, a nice way for the Sixers to kind of expand their community reach from outside of Philadelphia all the way down to the, you know, the shore towns in New Jersey and everything. And, uh, yeah, I don't think there's a whole lot of teams that do, you know, really events like quite like the Sixers do. But, uh, you know, everyone that was there seemed like they had a good time overall, and uh, I definitely left feeling, uh, feeling as though the Sixers did a good job with the event. Yeah, and I mean, in terms of the actual fan turnout, you know, you said you went five years ago, um, or Thaddeus Young's rookie year. You know, how did this compare to, you know, that, that other time you went? Uh, it was as crowded this year, if not more crowded. I think there was a little bit more uh, 
like palpable buzz this year because uh, I think, you know, Joel Okafor is a little bit bigger of a name, uh, you know, and a higher price pick than Thad Young was at the time. And, uh, you know, I think a lot of the people are, are excited, especially down in New Jersey. People don't get the same access um, and exposure to the Sixers as you do here in the city. You know, they're not, they're not down there as often. So an opportunity for them to, you know, meet the, uh, the new big prize picks for the organization during a day in the summer, I think really, um, you know, it was a really opportunity a lot of people took advantage of. And, uh, you know, it was just, it showed that there's still, despite the on-court struggles and questions surrounding the organization, there's definitely still a very devoted, um, you know, dedicated fan base out there that stretches all the way to the to Jersey Shore that's, you know, supporting the team and really hoping that they, you know, turn things around very soon. And, Mike, you know, correct me if I'm wrong here, but this was your first in-person look at Jalil Okafor. And, you know, what can you say about just his size and stature from that up close as a player? Yeah, it, it was the first time I got to see him in person. I didn't go to the draft this year. Uh, my initial impression was that uh, he's just tall. You know, he's he's a very big guy. It looked to me uh, like he already dropped a few pounds from uh, – how much he weighed and how big he was at draft day. He was, I mean, he was just wearing like shorts and a t-shirt and he definitely looked to be, uh, you know, like slim and cut and in shape. Um, and, uh, you know, he, he just seemed to be for, like a genuinely like a, a good guy. He was, uh, you know, joking around with the kids all afternoon. The Sixers posted a video of him, uh, you know, him and Rob were playing two on two with some little kids and he was, uh, you know, he was in good spirits, all smiles. He was, happy to, you know, greet the hundreds and hundreds of people that were coming there and wishing him luck and asking for his autograph. He seemed really, uh, you know, genuinely interested and excited to meet all of them. And uh, from, yeah, physically, he's uh, he's a big guy. I mean, you can really see where that's going to come in handy. He, like, his body is just big and he's tall. Hands are there. And, uh, you know, he, just, uh, he has a nice personality, too, that kind of draws people to him, it seemed, on that day. You know, there's constantly people following him around. And, uh, you know, it's hard not to be excited when a player of that caliber is, uh, you know, coming to the franchise that desperately needs some star power and some, uh, you know, offensive output. Yeah, and obviously there were some fun moments down there. I got to see that Jalil Okafor block on, you know, the uh, seven-year-old or whatever it was. Uh, Was there any, you know, memorable moment for you just being down there with the guys? Uh, I mean, me personally, they they had inside the, uh, you know, outside in the parking lot, they had um, all the games and, you know, everything set up out there. That's where the, they had the outdoor court. But inside, uh, it was the in, indoor bar area. They had more games and uh, stations set up, like a spin-the-wheel thing. But they actually had uh, they had Daryl and World Be Free and Doug Overton serve as uh, the guest bartenders inside Jack's <laughs> place. Um so, you know, after, you know, I was outside in the lot for a few hours. Once it started to get hot, I had, you know, head inside for a couple hours. And it was just cool. Like, you know, they were just standing behind the bar hanging out. You could kick it there, you know, talk to them. I got to, you know, actually get my picture taken with World and uh, Doug Overton and a couple guys that I watched growing up that, that uh, you know, were just really cool, uh, like down-to-earth guys, you know, that were just, you know, happy to be down at the shore associated with the Sixers still and just helping the team. And I thought that was just, you know, a really cool aspect of it. Um, you know, they were they were talking about the team now and comparing, you know, like back in the day when they were on the team and stuff. And, you know, just a cool, uh, you don't really get the opportunity to talk to some guys like in a casual like setting like that too often. So that was, uh, you know, for me, that was something I'll definitely remember for a while. 
And then overall, uh, I just took away, I thought it was a really great uh, chance for a lot of the kids, the younger generation and younger people to meet, uh, you know, and get acclimated to the new, possibly the new face of the franchise, at least for now, in Okafor. And, uh, you know, I think it, it's nice to get him out and, uh, you know, out in front of people and let let them meet him like they did. Yeah, the only guest bartending uh, Sixers player that, that I've gotten the chance to be served by is Maurice Spades back in the day. So <laughs> being able to get served by uh, Daryl Dawkins is a little better there. Um, but, uh, you know, were you able to actually talk to Jalil or Covington um, about the upcoming season? And, you know, what did they have to say about just the roster makeup and everything like that? Yeah, I mean, we had a uh, brief brief media session with him. We obviously we didn't really get to get too in depth with him. You know, it was, it was a lighthearted event. There was tons of staff there, uh, you know, making sure that it stayed that way. But uh, you know, Jalil talked for probably a good five or ten minutes. He sat down with uh uh you know, ESPN radio and uh, he he personally was seemed really excited about the turnout of the event and just, you know, about getting his rookie season underway. He uh one comment he made that kind of stuck with me was how, you know, he said he came from, he'd come from a background of, uh, you know, support the, the fan base and Duke is so great. And, uh, you know, already a short time in Philadelphia, he's already feeling the same, uh, you know, the same type of support from the Sixers fans. He said he gets love everywhere he goes in the city all the time. And it's all positive, you know, positive reinforcement and positive things that he's hearing from the, the city and the fan base. And uh, I think he was really impressed with the uh, the turnout of the, the beach bass in general. So, uh, you know, despite there was a little bit of uncertainty when he was first drafted here, whether he really wanted to be here and whether, you know, if he threw his jersey down on the table for the time to expect. But, uh, you know, whether or not his initial feelings, what they were what on draft day, we may never know. But, by you know, by all accounts, it really seems that he's happy to be you know, in Philly now, and he's especially in light of the uncertainty surrounding Embiid, who was supposed to be, you know, the, the cornerstone. I think Jalil's really ready to kind of embrace the the role of a leader for, you know, this young rebuilding team and potentially becoming, you know, like the face of the franchise, as I mentioned. Um, and as far as Covington, uh, I got to talk to him one-on-one for a, for a brief minute. He said he's, you know, same thing. He's expressed a lot of excitement for the upcoming season. He said, uh, he said he's actually been in Philly since basically May. He said, uh, you know, when, when the season first ended mid-April, he went home for a couple of weeks to see his family, and then uh, he was right back. He's been back in Philly since, you know, the second week of May, working out with uh, teammates and, you know, hopeful guys, local guys in the area. Uh, and he said, you know, there's just a really good competitive, uh, competitive atmosphere and competitive vibe going on between, you know, all the young guys that are out here for the summer working. Um you know, I say he's been working some with Jordan McRae, you mentioned by name, who who just recently got announced that he'd be signing a training camp deal with the team. And uh, you know, he uh Covington just alluded to how all the you know, all the young guys are really kinda of excited for the opportunity this season and uh they're looking to uh, you know, work hard and kinda of prove some people wrong and change the expectations of the fan base a little bit. Yeah, and you know, we we had touched on in a past episode how it would have been awesome to see Joel down there this summer, but, um, you know, obviously, you know, since our last podcast, even there's really been no new news, uh, surrounding Joel Embiid. you know, you wrote an article about it the other day, um, you know, go out and read it, uh, for those who haven't read that. Um, it's, you know, been nearly a month since the Sixers first announced he'd need a second surgery. 
And, uh, you know, the fans of media alike have been coming up with kind of their own conspiracies as to why that is. Um, you know, when Joel Embiid's first stress fracture was discovered after a workout with the Cavs prior to that 2014 draft, you know, Embiid had the surgery the very next day um, following that announcement. What do you think is going on here, Mike? And are you a little worried what might be going on behind the scenes here? Yeah, I mean, that, that what is going on with Embiid is definitely the biggest question surrounding the Sixers right now. Um, and, you know, I think you and I have both agreed that just, just the silence from both sides after an, an initial announcement of, you know, likely surgery within seven to ten days, as you alluded to, it's going on a month now. And I, I think the silence from both sides is just what's so strange. Uh, you know, if everything was going according to plan or, you know, if everything was just following in line, you would think that it would either have happened or it would be announced by now. Um, and just, you know, the, the the silence to me is what's really strange. I had mentioned, um, how, you know, Joel himself, a guy that Greg got a huge reputation for being, you know, overly loud and over the top on social media, especially Twitter. Um, you know, he hasn't posted anything in over a month, uh, you know, Sixers haven't alluded to anything. Uh, you know, you you don't like to necessarily assume the worst or assume something bad's going on, but you really have to start wondering at this time. Uh, you know, scratching your head and wondering, you know, if something's up between potential that the two sides aren't seeing eye to eye on a you know something on the issue, whether it be the Sixers want Joel to have the surgery that he doesn't think is necessary. Um, and he just wants to get out on the court, but, uh, you know, it's, it's definitely, there's, there's something going on that I think that, you know, this hasn't been revealed yet. And, uh, you know, it's definitely just looming over the Sixers, but, uh, you know, I'd be interested on what, what do you think is going on with that also? Yeah. You know, I, I think it's most likely a disconnect between Embiid, Embiid's agent and, you know, the Sixers ownership on what the best course of action is here. Embiid feels like he's fine doesn't need a surgery. I think Embiid's agent, Arn Tellum, you know, who said back on May 6th that he fully expects Embiid to play in summer league might also be on this train of thought. And I think the Sixers just won't budge. Um, you know, if Embiid refuses to get the surgery, what do you do in this situation, Mike? I mean, we've seen how Joel is somewhat uncontrollable in terms of what he does off the court. Do you risk putting him out on the court with either, you know, a not fully healed or reportedly rebroken foot. Yeah, and and I have to I have to agree there. I think there there really ha- I think there has to be some sort of a disconnect. I mean, it's it's an issue that I've you know you mentioned I've been writing about over the past few days, and I've been I've been thinking about a lot. And uh, you know, he went from an Instagram post a few weeks ago of a picture with him dunking the basketball that said only a couple weeks away, and then you know a couple weeks after that was his last Instagram post. Um, you know, it said uh, the caption was something along the lines of my time is coming. And it had, uh, you know, at the time, I didn't really think twice about this, the hashtag. But, uh, you know, going back and now considering the, the time since anything's been announced and the potential that maybe the two sides aren't seeing eye to eye. He, uh, you know, he included the hashtag trust me or trust the process on that picture. And that's the last picture that he's put up. And it was, you know, slightly before it was, I think it was, just a couple of days he put that up before it was announced by the Sixers that he would be, you know, out for the season. And, uh, you know, that to me, now that that kind of sticks out as, you know, trust the process has obviously been a slogan that's been associated with Sam Hankey and the Sixers rebuild since he got here. 
And, uh, you know, it's one that Joel himself has tweeted out and, uh, it's, you know, kind of the support of the players, but, you know, saying trust me or trust the process kind of makes it seem like he's pitting himself against the process as though it's, you know, listen to what I'm saying or listen to what the Sixers are saying. And, uh, you know, he's not saying anything to the public, but that silence could very well seem to be saying that, you know, he doesn't want the surgery. It seems, you know, that if he thought that it was necessary to solidify and make sure that he has a good uh, productive career going forward, if he knew that that was necessary, it seems that, you know, he would want that surgery to be handled and taken care of as soon as possible so he could, you know, potentially get back to rehab and then get back on the road to recovery. Um, you know, if he didn't think that was necessary, then that that would be very well, you know, why there would be such a delay. Um, and then that loops back around your question, what what does the team do in that situation? And, that, you know, that's an excellent question. You can't force a player against his will to get a surgery, but then, you know, what are you going to do? Are you just not play him until his contract's up? Do you look to move him? I mean, it's, it's, it's definitely a strange situation. And a guy that has as much potential and star power as Embiid, you certainly want to, you know, give every opportunity to have a, a successful career with with your own franchise, with the Sixers. So, you know, it's not a situation where I think they would just be like, you know what, you know, we took a loss, but at this point, let's just cut ties. Um, you know, he was the third pick in the draft, a, called a generational talent coming out of Kansas. And, uh, you know, I, I think they want to do everything possible to make sure that his productive years happen in Philadelphia. But, uh, you know, as you mentioned, too, his, his personality is definitely out there. He, there's been, you know, reports of his off-court activities. So, uh, you know, <clears throat> the lack of information from anyone, is just, it's tough to really, really tell exactly what's going on. Of course, everything that we're talking about here is speculation. But, uh, you know, it really feels like there's just something behind the scenes that's not going on between the two sides. And, uh you know, obviously, as just a, a fan and on the covers of the organization, and hopes the best because you hope that you know they can figure something out. Because the later and later it gets into the you know closer to the season, if he does end up needing the surgery with a you know a big window of recovery time afterwards, then you're going to start talking in the next summer, eventually you know missing summer league again or the next season. So you know, eventually you just want him to be healthy and able to get out on the court and be productive. Uh, so you know that's. That's probably what both both sides want, and it might just be a, you know a difference in you know which what which way the go, it goes. Yeah, and I, I mean it's just so strange that you know Embiid says, "Oh, I feel fine." You know, he he comes to summer league without a, a boot on his foot or any sign that you know he's in any pain. Uh, he hangs out with John Wall in that in that TMZ video, uh, just walking around, no boot on. Uh, no crutches, no nothing. It's just hard for me to believe that, you know, if his foot is indeed rebroken, he's not feeling anything there. Um, you know, the way that Sam Hinkie described it was less healing than anticipated at this point, which obviously, you know, might be more of the case if indeed can actually put weight on it and walk around and, you know, do day-to-day activities without a uh, walking boot on. But, yeah, I mean, it's it's going to be a really strange situation for the Sixers the closer it gets to the season if they don't announce anything to, you know, the fans or the media about what's going on here. I mean, you say seven to ten days, it's been nearly a month. You know, there's there's obviously something wrong here. 
And, you know, for the Sixers, if Embiid is indeed saying, no, I can play, you know, they're going to be backed into a corner. You don't want to play a potential franchise player where he gets re-injured, but you can't force the player into surgery either. You can sit him and uh, maybe fine him, you know, not pay out his paycheck. And, you know, that might draw him into a corner where he opts into surgery instead of, you know, not being paid. But it's just really a, a fishy situation right now. I don't think anyone has any idea, you know, what the truth is behind the curtain. But, you know, once again, this is the State of Independence podcast. I'm your host, Jeff McMenamin, alongside Michael Kasky Blomain. And, you know, what are, you know, the, the Sixers' total options here? If indeed, indeed uh, is saying that, you know, he wants to play, that he's not going to get surgery. I, I guess you got to play him. I mean, the thing that, you know, there has to be a report. Uh, you know, there was initially that this, the one report that Joel had a broken foot, a foot I believe it came out from uh, Bob Cooney, who, uh, you know, who's obviously in tune with the organization. He's, uh, you know, he knows what's going on. But it just seems, it just seems that that's just an incorrect report. I mean, it was almost immediately disputed by his former Kansas coach, Bill Self, uh, who came out like the next day and said that he was with just with Joel and he hadn't rebroken anything. And then, um, you know, you, the, uh, there was a TMZ report that you alluded to, you know, obviously we don't like to give TMZ too much report in the, or too much credit in the journalistic world, but you know, a video <laughs> is a video. He was, he was out, out there walking with, you know, no boot, no cast, no hitch, no nothing. And, uh, you know, it, it was interesting, too, because John Wall, he was a little bit more seasoned there, you know, in that video as far as handling the media as a professional. He kind of just walked out of the restaurant and was like, you know, we're not talking to anyone, uh, probably potentially because he didn't want Joel to get himself in a situation where he would end up, you know, saying something that he wasn't supposed to say or saying something that he would regret. Um, but of course, Joel being Joel, he came out and goofed around with the reporters and, you know, he didn't address anything directly, but he, he talked for a couple minutes. Um, so, you know, there's, there's obviously something we were in, as you alluded to earlier, we were a couple weeks away from what we thought was potentially seeing him even play in summer league to, you know, now we're just sitting here scratching our heads wondering when the hell are we ever going to see him play out there for the Sixers. I just feel like there was obviously some single event, whether it was just that a disagreement between the two sides about, a, you know, preventative surgery. Like you said, Sam Hankey said that there wasn't quite as much healing. Maybe they think that, you know, an additional surgery will, you know, solidify something, but nothing was actually made worse or, you know, something like that. Uh, it's, it's There's really never been, a, at least that I can recall, a situation like this. And I, I feel like it's almost being you know, under-discussed in the world of Philadelphia sports. You know, it's, it's being barely mentioned on, you know, the talk radio, and there's hasn't been much coverage and reporting of it in general. It seems that, uh, you know, it's something that it, – it's just very strange. The lack of information from both sides is something that, you know, I don't I don't recall dealing with or, like, seeing very often from a, a media perspective. And the truth is I don't know exactly what, from a team standpoint, you can do in that scenario. I mean, like we both said, it's not, you you can't force a player against his will to get a surgery if he, you know, if he doesn't deem it and his his team doesn't deem it absolutely necessary. And, uh, you know, you certainly don't want to 
sour a, a potentially like a long relationship by you know doing what you said like not paying out the contract or something like that and i'm sure they don't want to trade him at this point either you, a you, you obviously wouldn't get nearly the value that he would be as the fourth the third pick last in last year's draft and how good he could potentially be um you know every single team and player, you know, agent out there is skeptical of him going forward. It's not like they would get a great haul at this point coming back. I'm sure they don't want to do that. So, I mean, it's just really, it has to come down to the two sides coming out, you know, coming to an agreement eventually, whether it be that he's good to go and can, you know, he feels that he can play how he currently is and they let him do that. Or, you know, whether they talk him into having a second surgery, it's going to have to be, you know, unless it turns into something really ugly, which I think is too early to assume, and obviously we don't want to hope for that. Otherwise, you know, it, it has to be an agreement that's reached whether, I, I mean, it seems that the two most likely options would either be that, you know, most likely probably they talk him into a surgery and he misses the second season, or there's a complete, you know, 360 and some PR backstepping and he suits up for the Sixers this season. Uh, you know, what do you, what do you see as the most likely outcome of this, you know, strange scenario? Yeah, I mean, the Sixers are really in a bind, and if he says that he's not getting surgery, that's all there is to it. I mean, I guess in this case, you would have to play him. You know, you can't trade him. Sitting him's not really going to do much except maybe delaying a a potential surgery. I I don't really know. I mean, if, if you play him, you can at least maybe get some value for him for a team, you know, looking for that type of talent. I mean, no team is going to give the best haul for him, uh, regardless of what he does. But, you know, right now his value is at the lowest point. You can't just trade him and move on for, like, uh, you know, late second-round pick. That's not the type of player he can potentially be. So, I I mean, I don't know what's going to happen. It'll be interesting to see, you know, if the Sixers even say anything regarding this in the next couple weeks. But, yeah, Mike, so I made this comment on Twitter today, and it ended up getting a pretty large response from, you know, a lot of the Sixers fans who follow me. Uh, I said that the Sixers are lacking a player you can give the ball to in the clutch, and uh, to please refrain from using Tony Roden as any, you know, example <laughs> for that type of player. Uh, you know, some people responded saying, Jalil Okafor can be that guy, or Pierre Jackson. Um, some even said Robert Covington. <laughs> but what do you think of this statement, Mike? Uh, well, I mean, at this point, I definitely I agree. Uh, you know, there's no one on the roster yet that's been, you know, a proven go-to guy in the clutch. And, you know, I, you you and I have both said it, I think, on, the, on this podcast and all the way through. I mean, the, the team has been lacking that for years. And, uh, you know, Lou Williams had his, had his time here in Philly that, you know, you could rely on him. But, I mean, as far as a guy that you could really consistently just rely on to create for himself and get buckets would need him to, I mean, that's essential. You, for any, you know, any legit championship team, you go back over the past 20 years, uh, you know, in my mind, that's usually it's it, it's someone that's it's a perimeter player. It's like the way the game is played this year. That's why uh, I wanted Andrew Wiggins so badly in the draft last year because I really thought that he – you know, that would be perfect for the Sixers. They need a wing player, and he could really have developed into that guy that was, you know, the go-to clutch player. Um, yeah, so I, I definitely agree with that. My first uh, – the first guy that pops into my mind, I'm sure probably somebody mentioned this to you, would be Joel. 
you know, obviously he hasn't he hasn't played for the team yet. I think they're hoping that he can, you know, develop. And it, it seems that he has the skill set at least to to develop into, you know, a, a go-to guy from the low post. Uh, you know, a guy that can definitely get his own buckets, whether it be, you know, uh, it's like overpowering a guy or using – he has, you know, a decent face-up and dribbling ability. Um, and he also, you know, he's a decent passer too, so he can create for others. So I, I think we're going to see a lot of the offense ran through him this year. I think he'll have, uh, you know, an opportunity to kind of prove that he could be that guy for the Sixers. I would certainly feel more comfortable if it, there was also, um, you know, just, just the style of the way that the game is played at the NBA now, you know, so up and down the court, you know, stretching the floor, uh, long ball, a lot of shooting threes and everything. I'd be much more comfortable if they, you know, uh, and I'm sure they'll eventually look to add one, but if they had a guy that, like that, that, uh, you know, from the wing position, uh, you know, an a all-star caliber two or three guard that, you know, you can just rely on to get buckets night in and night out, and they absolutely don't have that at this point. Um, you know, I think Jalil could be the closest thing to a go-to scorer um, down the stretch that the team has. As far as Robert Covington, you know, he's – I have high expectations for him this season. He's not the best at, you know, generating his own offense as much. I think it's something that he's improved on gotten better at. But, uh, you know, he's a guy that you could go to for a bucket if you set up a play or come off a screen. But he, he's not necessarily a guy that I would think, you know, in a playoff-type situation, if you're playing them half-court offense and you just kick it to him on the wing, he's not really the type of guy that you can be like, yeah, this guy is, you know, going to get me buckets, either get to the line or create something. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I would agree that I don't I don't think that there's, there's certainly nobody established in, in that position for the team right now. Um, it's something they'll obviously have to address going forward. Uh, you know, Tony, uh, it, it'll be nice to have uh, Tony Hilton back on the court, at least for a little bit. You know, I think he's certainly not, not a, you know, an answer or go-to scorer, but he's, he is a guy that at least can, you know, put his head down and get take the ball to the rim and finish and get to the line when the Sixers need a basket. Uh, you know, so in the short term, since in the, this coming season, I think he'll, Roten will definitely have this ball, the ball in his hands a lot, and will be given an opportunity to score. Uh, you know, down the stretch, but no, I'd be in agreement with you that they they don't have that, and obviously, uh, you know, it's a big issue they'll need to address moving forward throughout the rebuild. Yeah, I mean Tony Roden, Don't get me wrong. Uh, in terms of a player that can create his own shot. You know, he's probably the best on the team. Uh, you know, he led the NBA in points per drive last season, uh, 8.1 points per game uh, on drives. And, I, I mean, he can obviously draw defenders to him, too, and find the open man, you know, Robert Covington or Nick Stauskas next season. And Jalil Okafor the same way. You know, if you toss him the ball down low, he's going to draw a double in the clutch uh, every time. But, you know, you, you look at a player like Okafor, and obviously everyone makes the, the Tim Duncan comparison. And how often do you see Tim Duncan, you know, taking the ball in the clutch for, you know, a potential game-winning shot? Uh, I, I remember back in the day him doing that against uh, the Lakers in the playoffs. But I don't, you know, know many recent examples of Tim Duncan being that kind of guy. You know, you, you look at that Spurs team, and the ball, more often than not, will go to guys like, you know, Tony Parker or Manu Ginobili when the game's on the line and not Tim Duncan. But, you know, he'll draw that double team every time and, you know, set up teammates in in that way. And, you know, I think that's where Okafor is going to be most effective in the clutch for the Sixers. I, I don't know if 
you know, he'll be that that scorer, but he'll definitely draw a double and, and find someone else wide open on the wing or, you know, wherever it is on the court. Pierre Jackson, no, I, I don't see that at all. You know, he has to have one good, you know, NBA start before you can even, you know, talk about him being a clutch player in the NBA. But, you know, it, it should be interesting. Uh, you know, we obviously wanted D'Angelo Russell. He could have been that guy. We wanted Wiggins. He could have been that guy, even Jabari Parker. But, uh, unfortunately, you know, the, the way the ping pong balls fall, it's not always, you know, our way. But, you know, back to some recent Sixers news, you know, they made another signing on Friday. They signed uh, Rashawn Holmes to a four-year, uh, two-year guaranteed deal. Um, you know, he averaged 10 points and five rebounds uh, while playing 17 minutes per game in Utah Summer League. Uh, fractured elbow kept him out of Vegas Summer League. And, you know, he's also a great defensive player, uh, Mid-American Defensive Player of the Year uh, last year. Uh, he says he'll be fully ready for Sixers training camp. And, Mike, you know, what impresses you the most about Holmes's game, and did you like the signing? Yeah, I did like the signing. I, I liked it what a lot of the signings that they've made in anticipation of training camp. I think there's a – you know, obviously they're not going to be able to sign, you know, for the season everyone they're bringing into camp. But I think they've brought in a lot of uh, good, like, young, hungry players uh, to camp to compete for the spot that they have left between, you know, Holmes, as you mentioned, who <clears throat> showed that he could, you know, produce uh, in some league. And then, of course, they signed Scotty Wilbekin uh, to he'll be in training camp. He had a nice summer league and can shoot, uh, you know, which is obviously something that the team will need. And then, you know, the recent year that Jordan McRae will be there, um, too. I, I just I like that they – there's a lot of talented guys there that are looking really, to, you know, for a, a shot to make it in the pros. So, uh, you know, I, I like that in general. I think Holmes has a uh, – you know, I think he has a good shot of, you know, maybe possibly sticking with the team for the season. He has a good size. Uh, you know, he, I like his hustle and his heart. He can finish around the rim. You know, a decent rebounder for his position. I, you know, I'd, I'd have to see more. It's, it's tough to judge a player, really. I, I didn't watch him much in college, so I'm judging him off the, you know, brief time I saw him with the Sixers in summer league. But, uh, you know, he definitely seemed like a guy that could kind of just fill a, uh, you know, fill a bench, a bench uh, front court role for the team. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, I wasn't surprised either. I think a lot of people, after his performance in uh, summer league, as you mentioned, you know, solid stats and everything, I think, a, uh, you know, a lot of people expected him to, uh, you know, to, to make the team. So uh, I'm looking forward to training camp. Obviously, I think as most Sixers fans are, and it'll be interesting to see, uh, you know, exactly which of the, the fringe guys, uh, you know, pull through and make the, you know, make the regular season roster. Yeah, Holmes kind of reminds me of like a poor man's own brand. You know, he's he's a good two-way presence on yeah. the court. He has some nice touch around the basket. You know, you can even bring it out, you know, to the mid-range. And Brett Brown really loves these kinds of players. And, you know, he has, you know, a solid scoring touch. Uh, he's more versatile than Firkin at the four spot, you know, gives the team an added skill set that it doesn't really have with that extended range. And I know agents don't really like that four-year deal, but, you know, that contract is great value for the Sixers. And, you know, we can be fortunate enough as fans to still be getting those. And, you know, to get that uh, from Holmes, from what we saw at Summer League, I think that's, you know, a, a great signing there. Um, but, you know, signing Holmes, the Sixers also made a, a very mild trade, sending Jason Thompson to Golden State for Gerald Wallace 
and the right to swap picks with Golden State next year, uh, their first rounder, as long as it's, you know, below either the Heat or the Thunder next year, which is highly unlikely. But uh, Wallace looks to be nothing more of a salary dump here, and the Sixers supposedly will save about $3 million in salary next year. So what do you think of this move, Mike, and will it even matter in the grand scheme of things? Uh, first of all, it's funny you mentioned how agents don't really like the four-year, uh, you know, the four-year, the hinky special, but, you know, they keep signing it. <laughs> but, uh, you know, there's a flip side. There's, there's a flip side to those deals because, you know, most of the guys that are getting these deals are, you know, it's an opportunity opportunity that might not otherwise be there for them. But, uh, so, you know, I think they're, it's kind of like a double-edged sword. You know, for some guys that might get trapped in it, like, a, you know, like a Jeremy Grant who this year and next year might be – worth more than he would be if he, you know, is getting paid through the four-year deal. Um, you know, there's still guys like like a Rashawn Holmes or a Scotty Wilberton that would be, you know, very happy to take the four-year partially guaranteed deal in order to just get a shot to show their stuff at, an, at the NBA level. But uh, as far as the trade goes, you know, it was, you know, just another, another one that will go in the list of, uh, you know, Sam Hinkie moves that, you know, don't really move the needle much in the eyes of the fan base. You know, the, it'll work in the future to, as you mentioned, if, uh, you know, a, a salary dump of Gerald Wallace and, a, you know, a little bit better positioning in the draft pick. But, you know, in the grand scheme, as far as the, the organizational rebuild, I really, I don't think it, it'll be, you know, moved to many mountains. It was a nice come up for Golden State, uh, you know, after losing David Lee. Uh, I think Jason Thompson's a guy that can fit nicely in there. Uh, you know, just as a, a reserve front court player, you know, he'll come in and probably play, you know, 15 minutes a game. But, uh, you know, he's versatile enough that he'll fit in that role nicely for them. So, I mean, it is a move. He wasn't going to stay here with the Sixers long, one way or another anyway, you know. So, I mean, it was a it was a move that made sense for both sides. Uh, it's not one that was not one that was super exciting for the Sixers fans. Yeah, for the Sixers, I mean, if anything, it will probably give more minutes to, to Holmes here. Uh, you won't have to fight for minutes at, at that power forward spot as much. And, uh, you know, it was just kind of funny to see, you know, Jason Thompson's Twitter at the time, you know, saying, oh, I'm going back to L.A. already, you know, uh, just barely back yeah. in his hometown here. And he's already, you know, going back to L.A. But, yeah, so, you know, as you mentioned, the Sixers are bringing Jordan McRae and uh, J.P. Takoto back for Sixers training camp next month. Uh, they both had relatively disappointing summer leagues, and uh, in Keith Pompey's article about it, he states that second-rounders can show up to training camp and force the franchise that picked them to make a decision. You know, they can tender an offer or lose their draft rights and see them become unrestricted free agents. Um, so that would be the case for both McCray and Takoto. Uh, the Sixers have until September 5th to make an offer to Takoto, and uh, they have until September 10th to do that with McRae. Uh, so what do you make of this, Mike? And, I mean, you know, obviously disappointing summer leagues from both of them, but do you think that, you know, training camp's a new opportunity, a new shot to kind of make a name for themselves? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, summer league is it's such a small sample size. Um you know, as you said, it was both it was disappointing for both of them. Takoto, I mean, Takoto, he, he showed off some athleticism, but, uh, you know, overall, he, I don't think he stood out as much as maybe some people expected him to. And uh, definitely the same goes for Jordan McRae. He was, you know, he was a guy that 
I was talking up on the podcast earlier is a, you know, a potential option to maybe even start for the Sixers at the, you know, shooting guard position this season. Um, he certainly didn't look to be up to the task in summer league. Uh, I think the team knows that he's potentially better than he showed in summer league. And that's probably why they brought him, you know, into camp to compete. And, uh, yeah, I think he'll, he'll look at it as a, you know, a brand new opportunity. He, 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 McCray uh, in particular, he has a, a solid skill set that I think, you know, team could use uh you know they need perimeter scoring and production they could use you know an athletic type player on the wing um so you know i think if he can mccray especially if he can you know play better than he did at summer league he doesn't necessarily need to you know be spectacular but to show them that he could be a solid reliable perimeter guy for them at least you know this season i think he has a solid shot uh you know takoto's his road might be a little bit tougher but uh you know, the same, he's another guy that's pretty highly, decently, you know, valued coming in as a rookie. And I think, uh, you know, he'll definitely get a shot at least in camp to show that, uh, you know, he could probably compete for the team. But, uh, you know, like I said, I'm definitely definitely curious to see who's going to end up coming out of training camp, especially, um, you know, the point guard position is one that's still really crowded on the team. Uh, and it'll be definitely interesting to see who ends up coming out when uh, his opening day starter there. I mean, there's there's a lot to look forward to in training camp uh, this year, in particularly. I feel like yeah, 17 already on the training camp roster. So um, you know they need to add three between now and then. Um, but you know, Mike, there was also another big event this weekend. Um, you know, the NBA had their NBA Africa game on Sunday. Uh, former Sixers Evan Turner, Nick Vucevic. Uh, Luke Mute and Dikemi Matumbo. Oh, and also, you know, if you want to go way back, Nazi Muhammad all played in that game. Uh, Turner had a near triple-double with uh, 14 points, 8 assists, and 7 rebounds to lead Team World uh, to victory over Team Africa. Uh, but the play of the game was Hakeem Olajuwon's old-school dream shake and bucket against Nick Vucevic. Uh what do you think of this new addition by the NBA and what do you think it will do to NBA expansion through Africa? Yeah, I mean, I definitely applaud any efforts the league makes to continue to, you know, reach out across the the world. You know, basketball is definitely an international game and Adam Silver, I think, seems very determined to, you know, further embrace that. I think David Stern really got the wheels, you know, turning as far as, the international reach of the game and having a game in Africa that I I, I did tune into it. It was definitely entertaining to watch and it seemed that, uh, you know, everyone there really enjoyed the event. Um, Adam Silver, he's already talked about the potential of expanding, um, you know, to having overseas teams eventually, not just, you know, United States and Canada um, going across the seas. And, uh, you know, the support that the NBA receives players and teams individually continued to grow, um, each year all the time. And I just, I think there'll be more and more stuff like this, uh, you know, games in Africa as the, you know, the game just continues to expand the new television deals coming in. I, I just, all signs are really pointing to the continued expansion of the NBA. And I think, uh, you know, as a fan of the league and the game, you have to be pretty psyched about it and continue to, you know, hope for more new, uh, things and ideas like this coming through. And I think with, Adam Silver at the helm, I think, uh, you know, the league definitely in good hands and uh, heading in a, in a good direction. Uh, what do you think about it? Yeah, it was really cool just to see the ovation that Dikembe Mutombo got when he, you know, entered the game. Uh, obviously, uh, you know, Olajuwon's dream shake, that was just 
amazing to watch. I mean, everyone kind of vines that one and put it on Twitter when it happened. Um, and it's just amazing, you know, the expansion uh, throughout the world. Um, you know, Kobe Bryant, I don't know if you saw this the other day, got almost like a president's welcome in Japan when he showed up for an event there. Uh, obviously, the league has really grown internationally, even just talking to, you know, some of the players that I, I covered at Temple in college, you know, talking to them about playing in Greece or Italy, uh, Germany, you know, all over the place in Europe right now. Um, and it, it's just great, you know, to see basketball really develop to, you know, an international game. You know, it's really I, I would say outside soccer, the biggest sport in the world um, at this moment. So, um, you know, it's great to see it develop and it'll only bring better, you know, talent through the NBA. You know, obviously you might see some talent leave the NBA like you're kind of seeing, you know, in the Champions League uh, for soccer right now, some of the older talent leaving for greener pastures in the United States. But yeah, I mean, like you said, it's just, you know, a global game. And, um, you know, it's great to see this NBA Africa kind of put a stamp on, you know, another chapter of kind of that expansion throughout uh, the world. But obviously, you know, Joel's road started in Cameroon. Uh, do you think if he's ever healthy, he'd kind of be the face of that Africa team? And, you know, how cool would it be to see him potentially suit up next to uh, Hakeem the Dream? Oh, man, I'd probably be too busy where he was going to get hurt in the offseason. He wouldn't be able to come back <laughs> and play for the Sixers. Uh, no, but, uh, yeah, I mean, that that would obviously be great for, you know, for NBA especially to kind of be the face of uh, the, the, uh, his home country like that. And, uh, you know, as as the game expands, like we alluded to, there's certainly the possibility for that sale of Della. You know, there'll certainly be other countries looking to have their teams represented in a similar manner. And, uh, you know, I think there's, there's just a growing uh, the growing international trend within the league itself. Uh, that's something else that won't stop. The Sixers, obviously, you mentioned Joel is one, but there's, uh, you know, there's a lot of there's players from all over the world, both on the, on the team and in the league. I remember the Spurs team that won, uh, won the title a couple of years back had players from, like, eight or nine different countries on, on their 15-man roster or something like that. So, uh, you know, definitely behind soccer, I think basketball is definitely uh, – really reaching the, the largest global audience and it's continuing to grow, which, uh, you know, it's good for people like us because there'll, uh, there'll be no shortage of things to cover in the future, hopefully at least. So it's it's been super tough on me. I'm sure it's the same way for you. How much are you dying right now to see some, you know, any kind of NBA basketball at the moment? Yeah, I mean, definitely counting down the days so, uh even the preseason starts. Kind of a you know sports down season right now. All we have is a uh, you know baseball. At least the Phillies have been playing a little bit better recently, huh? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think they've won like 13 of their past 16. Um, you know, they're still way out of the playoff hunt. Um, probably like 15 yeah, too, games too back. Yeah, but it was kind of nice to see uh, you know Ruben Amaro pull a little bit of Sam Hinkie there and got some value for, you know, his veterans and, and a couple of deals there. Yeah, they'll be, uh, you know, hopefully in a couple of years, just like the Sixers, they'll, uh, they'll be back on their way up toward contention. <laughs> hopefully. Uh, you know, once again, this is the State of Independence podcast. I'm your host, Jeff McMenamin, alongside Michael Caskey-Blomain. 
follow us on the app Stitcher, and uh, we'll catch you next time with some more Sixers updates. Back in 1982, man, it was real cool in school. If we got good grades, like straight up A's, our parents would take us to a 76 game. I got my game, and there ain't no shame. Big shots of Mo Cheeks and Moses Malone. Julius Serva called Philly is home. Bobby Jones, Daryl Dawkins, and Tony Sinkin' threes. Rocky Bobo will come from South Philly. But if you want to make it on time to the show, there's only one role that you really have to know. So get to Fishtown without all that job. I suggest that you drive on I-95 Wanna get downtown but fit in a fix Get on that road they call 676 The most expensive expense Pizza Venice they be ever made The fellas ain't famous but they got good game Get along, getting on 76ers Travel finally This Larry Bird Get along, 76ers Travel finally This Larry Bird Oh man, now this guy's the jewel, the Valentine's